Chapter Twenty Seven of Fresh Every Hour by John Peter Tuey. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Junius P. Easton, popularly known on the street as Old J. P., was sulking in his tent like a certain ancient Greek. The said tent being the Florentine library in his lakeside home. He was pacing up and down the great sombre room with its tapestried walls and its high raftered ceiling, chewing ferociously on a thick cigar, mumbling incoherently, and thinking things utterly unfit for publication. Every two or three minutes he paused at the door opening into the music room and listened to the confused medley of sounds which came to him from an apartment in a far corner of the house the light laughter of women, the clink of china tea-things, and the occasional echo of a man's voice, an aggravatingly bland and urban voice, with a trace of a foreign accent in its rhythms. Every time J. P. caught the sound of that voice, his bushy and grizzled eyebrows came together over a deep perpendicular furrow in his forehead, and he swore audibly and with gusto. This performance had been going on ever since a quarter to five that afternoon, when he had arrived from his office, after a particularly trying day, full of perplexing business problems, and had been greeted by the butler with the announcement that Miss Fanny was entertaining some sort of an Indian prince and a group of friends at tea. J.P. had tiptoed to the door of the Indian room, had cautiously peeped through the heavy curtain, and had been greeted with the spectacle of Prince Rajput Singh, flanked by his bewhiskered servitors, lounging luxuriously on a divan, completely surrounded by adoring females of uncertain age, among whom his more or less revered sister was the central figure. Fanny was running true to form, and was successfully monopolizing the attentions of the foreign visitor. Filled with disgust, J.P. had tiptoed away from the scene to the quiet serenity of the library, and had begun his imitation of a caged beast of the jungle. It was one of the best things he did, and he generally felt himself called upon to perform in this manner two or three times a week, for there was no way of ever figuring what Fanny was going to do next, or who she was going to invite into the house. One afternoon it might be an anarchist preaching the parlour variety of red revolutionary doctrine, and the next it was just as likely to be the latest exponent of the simple life, tastefully attired in sandals and a robe made from Turkish towels. As J. P. remarked once to his closest friend, there's only one thing you can ever be certain about so far as Fanny is concerned. She's always sure to make a damned fool out of herself and J. P. spoke by the book. He had lived with her for fifty years, and he knew whereof he spoke. He was always prepared for anything, and yet he was never able to maintain that air of philosophic calm with which he would have liked to have greeted each new ebullition of her tempestuous temperament. He pictured himself sometimes, in moments of reflection, treating her with cold contempt and silent scorn. But when each new issue arose, he greeted it with an emotional outburst which was utterly futile in its effect on her, but which gave him some slight measure of satisfaction. A psychologist would have told him that his affection for his sister found expression in that way. We can never be coldly contemptuous of those we love. However, J. P. was no psychologist. 
The festivities in the other corner of the house lasted until nearly six o'clock, and when the last guest had been given a gushing farewell by the arch Miss Fanny, the hostess bounced into the library to meet her brother. She was attired in a short-skirted pink silk afternoon gown that looked as if it might have been designed for a sixteen-year-old high school student, and she flounced into a sofa with an assumption of girlish ingenuousness that was really pathetic to watch. "'I've just had the darlingest afternoon, brother dear,' she said gaily, not heeding the glowering aspect of the head of the house, who stood facing her with his hands in his trousers' pockets. We've had the spirit and the mystery of the great, inscrutable East with us, and it's been so uplifting, and so perfectly wonderful that I'm in a daze. I'm sorry you didn't meet the dear prince, brother dear. He's so charmingly soulful, and his eyes, well, they're just deep pools of moonlight, as some poet said. I'm giving a dinner for him on Friday night. You'll have to come to that, of course. Junius P. Easton tossed back his head and erupted. "'I'll be damned if I will,' he shouted, "'and I'll be damned if I'm going to let you hobnob with this fellow, either. I've stood a lot from you, Fanny, but there's a limit. I didn't put up much of a holler last winter when you had that greasy Eskimo here that evening with that polar explorer, and I've stood for Japanese, Chinese, Hawaiians, South Sea Islanders, snake charmers, Bolshevists, shimmy-dancers, poets, and short-haired female nuts.' but I'm going to draw the line on darkies, and don't you forget it." J.P. strode over to a long table, opened a humidor, extracted another cigar, and savagely bit the end of it off. His sister was as unruffled as the placid surface of a mountain lake on a hot midsummer day. She laughed a little before replying. It was such an irritatingly serene sort of a laugh that J.P. winced at the sound of it. "'You poor, dear, foolish man!' she said with the patronizing condescension of an indulgent aunt rebuking a fractious boy aged about eight years. He isn't a colored man. You can be perfectly ridiculous at times. Well, he's the next thing to it, isn't he? inquired her brother helplessly. Don't be absurd, J.P. He is the descendant of kings and potentates and mighty warriors, and he's quite the most fascinating man I've ever met. To know him is a privilege. He calls to your soul and bids you voyage with him to the heights where you can leave behind you the petty affairs of life and commune with the eternal and the unknowable. Oh, bunk, retorted her brother testily. You give me a pain. The heights, eh? If you take a trip up there, you'd better be sure before you start that you've got a return ticket. You're likely to get all tangled up in the cosmos and the eternal and lose your way as well as your mind. And take a tip from me, old lady. Choose some other companion besides that coffee-colored harem-keeper, if you want to keep your friends." "'My dear brother,' returned Miss Fanny, in a perfectly even tone of voice, "'I feel extremely sorry for you. You are of the earth. You have no soul. When the infinite calls, you cannot hear it. I, fortunately, am so attuned and delicately adjusted that it reaches me, and I can pulsate in harmony with its vibrations. I know because the dear prince told me so. It's just wonderful." Oh, piffle! 
retorted j p impotently as he threw up his hands in a gesture of hopeless despair and tore angrily out of the room with the bitter realization that he had once more suffered defeat miss fanny easton smiled indulgently and fondled a jade ring on her left hand a ring which prince rajput singh had slipped from his own royal finger and given her with the whispered expression of a hope that she would wear it as a token of their friendship assuring herself that no one was looking she kissed it long and ardently as something akin to a rapturous look crept into her foolish lustreless eyes End of chapter 27